Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Pastor Peter and Miss Jean are away. They're at the, the wedding for one of their grandchildren. So I believe that's in Lafayette, I think. I think that's what he said. Something like that. Anyway, so we'll uh, take a little time for ourselves here, and, and we're going to take a little um, side study kind of for the next four weeks um, and look through some of the Psalms, and we're going to do it in uh, some new emphasis or just some emphasis that I think the Psalms gives us to look at itself. But before we get started, I've been informed that it's Brenda Tullis's birthday. And Miss Brenda, if you're watching, we love you, we love you, love you. Let's sing real quickly to Miss Brenda. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mayor Brenda. Happy birthday to you. We love you. Oh. And Miss Phyllis. Happy birthday, Miss Phyllis. <laughs> Warren told on you. So. <laughs> and Wendy Zeringer. Wow. Not to be forgotten. Happy birthday, Wendy. <laughs> Anybody else? Oh. Miss Anna's birthday, too? Okay. Happy birthday, Miss Anna. Wow. And today is the day for birthdays, I believe. <laughs> Good. Well, let's pray and then we'll get started. Father God, we, um, we find much joy in knowing that we can come together as a family and, uh, and gather in your presence, God, because of the work that you're doing in us and the work that you've done for us, God, and the work that you're preparing us for. God, we pray that uh, our eyes would be fixed upon you. God, we pray that you would show us wonderful things from your word. God, that our ears and our eyes of our hearts would be opened. We would gain understanding. God, we would um, know of your love for us in greater ways. God, that we may express that love. It may radiate out of us. Um, and that we would be yours forever. And that would be capturing our hearts. So, God, I pray that you would give me clarity and peace and wisdom as I communicate that your words would go forward and your Holy Spirit would not allow them to return void. Oh, thank you so much. Bless our time together today. Amen. We live in a culture that is inundated. It's... it's overly focused on being happy. It, ha it has taken the word blessed and made it a catchphrase. Um, everywhere you look, there are 10 ways for this and, and 100 ways to, to be mentally happy and emotionally happy. That physical health has been put on a pedestal. And, and if you're physically healthy, you can be happy. And that's the way to happiness. Um, your family. Your family is, can be your means of happiness. We've, we, our culture is, is constantly just taking the perimeter aspects of our lives 
and, and trying to make them the emphasis of happiness and make them what is measuring and what we can be happy about. It's a, um, what would be the best way to put it, a emotional high that can come from greater or better physical circumstances, right? And so that's, that's what they live and how they base their lives is, is trying to get back that next high point of better circumstances. And if I can maintain that set of circumstances, then I'm, I'm good. And, and I have this, this feeling about me that helps me to maintain. And, and that's it. There is, there is very little view of a future, of hope, of peace. It's just anything periphery that they can latch on to. They're going to make that the ultimate thing, you know, whether it's material or relational. Um, and they're, they're going to try to hold on and, and capture that as what happiness is, what it means to be blessed. But that's not the biblical definition of happiness. That's not the, how the Bible wants us to understand what, what happiness is or what it means to be blessed. I mean, the book of Job is a clear picture of this battle between the worldly thought of, well, you're suffering right now and there's sin, there must be sin in your life, and the fact that God is sovereignly in control of all things and causes all things to work together for good according to his purposes and his plans. And, and that message of um, God's sovereignty absolutely overshadows the message of the world's circumstantial happiness. So what's the, what's the Bible's definition of happy and blessed? Psalm 119, verses 1 through 3 says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. So, so blessed is, is keeping God's word, is being blameless. Yikes. <laughs> but, but. The measure of, of the biblical definition of blessed, first of all, begins with seeing Christ as that means of blessing and us being in Christ. Right? Many of the, the scholars believe that Psalms 1 and 2 go together, hand in hand. And, and they form a bookend introduction to the whole book of Psalms. Right? Look, at, look at how verse 1 of, of Psalms 1 begins. It says, blessed is the man. What does verse 12 of Psalm 2 say? Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so you have the, the, the book in parallel that, that so much forms the thoughts of Hebrew thinking and how they would, would formulate what's the most important thing here. The most important thing throughout the book of Psalms, right, is this picture that we get in chapter 1 that gets pointed out as a prophecy in chapter 2 that becomes that, that son, that man of righteousness that will come, who we know is Jesus Christ. And that's the, the blessing that we can walk in as Christians because we are in Christ. This biblical definition isn't wrapped up in, uh, in how the world sees it. If we flip over to, to 1 Thessalonians, we get a, a pretty... 
different look at, at how life was going and, and the measure of joy that could come from that. In verse Thessalonians 1, 6 says this, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Received the word with much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. If the world gets much, much affliction, the word joy is not following them. They'll be crushed. They'll, they're going to they're gonna look for every example of, of how do I get out of this circumstance possible. Or, or the way that, that Hebrews 10 puts it in. Hebrews 10, 32 through 34 says, But recall the former days after you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being politically, publicly, excuse me, politically is probably accurate for today, publicly exposed. That's Charles, that's your influence right there. Thank you. <laughs> publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. How many in, in today's, and, and I speak as an American, to Americans in the American church, okay? How many of us would be accepting with joy the plundering of our property. You know, how many, how many of us are so attached to the things we have that are ours and, and we see them as ours. We've earned, we work for them. We've pulled ourselves up, right? What's the, the, uh, America's so we pulled ourselves up with our own bootstraps and, and we've put them on every day and gone to work and we've earned what we've got instead of, instead of honestly seeing and, and knowing the blessing of the Lord that has provided for us, that has cared for us, that has guided our paths around us and seeing that, God, whatever I have, I have from you. Therefore, it's yours first and foremost. Right? And, that, and then that becomes our attitude towards giving, towards hospitality, and, and towards all the, the love effects of the church. So for too many of us, too many of us in the church, our own faith rises and falls with our emotions at the moment. You know, we, we get a, a circumstance and, and our, faith can, our faith can be crushed because circumstances aren't how I thought they would go. Right? Proverbs tells us that, that a strong hope, when it's not given to us, can make our heart sick. Right? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Wow. What, what, what is our hope in, right? What are, what are the things that, that we are hoping to gain uh, because of God? So the book of Psalms is given to us just for this purpose. We will have mental and emotional, physical, family, relational, and material highs and lows. But through it all, our faith in the triune God of glory and our trusting obedience to follow his promises will cause us to be blessed and happy. 
As I said, many of the scholars believe that these two chapters, chapters 1 and 2 of the Psalms, um, formulate this, this gateway, this opening that opens up the rest of the Psalms to us. And so we can see that the, the, the man of faith in the Psalms and, and the projection of blamelessness, whose, whose way is the right way, this is, first of all, informally of Christ. And so we see, we see the enemies that come and battle and, and fight against us. And we should see ourselves, first of all, in that. And not look just to the, to the outside world or, or a rough family situation or a work circumstance. Look at your own heart, your own sin, as you read the Psalms and say, there's my greatest enemy, this one that carries and, and stays with me all day, every day, because it is constantly battling, it's constantly warring against the spirit that is in me. And, and these are the, the ways that we can start to understand better the Psalms. And so we look at the, the first part. Uh, like we said, that um, looking at Psalm 1, let's read the first three verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So who is the blessed man? It's the man who does not live life in the midst of the godless unbelievers. Who does not allow the world to define his thoughts or beliefs. Did you notice the progression in verse 1? You're walking, you're standing, you're sitting as the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers. Uh, one of the commentators put it, it's our, our thoughts, right? You're walking in the counsel of the wicked. It's our thoughts. It's our behavior, right? You're standing in the way, the things that they do the behavior of the sinners, and then our, our uh, belonging or our identity. You're sitting in the seat of scoffers. You have firmly been entrenched into the world system, and now you not only don't follow the ways of God, but you mock and you scoff those who do. And that, that is the progression that we can see here. There is a system in this world that has been set up by the devil to oppose the ways of God. We see that in Psalm 2, and it says this way, Why do the nations rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds and cast away their cords from us. Did you see the council they had together, right? This is the, the council that we're supposed to avoid of the wicked. They're plotting over there. They're, they are coming up with ways to mock God, ways to get away from his ways. And we, we see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, right? What, did, what was the serpent's plan of action for Eve? Doubt, right? Start to change your thinking. 
Start to, to look at, at what God, has God really said? And the same thing he tried with Jesus in the wilderness. Try to, try to change the thinking a little bit. Just a little. doesn't have to be much. Right? It's just a little deviation. And then he would say, well, isn't it pleasing for your sight? So, so won't you follow after your, your pleasures? And, and it's no coincidence that the name of the tree in the garden the knowledge of good and evil. Well, before that time, who determined what good and evil was? God and God alone. Exactly. And that's what the serpent wanted man to think he could do. But in thinking that we could do that in our own hubris and our own pride, we actually didn't ever get to do it for ourselves. We actually got to turn and hand it back to the serpent. And that's what he deceived us to do. Is now he and the world system that he has established determines what's good and evil and preaches that and indoctrinates that and, and just pushes it and pushes it and pushes it. You see it in every aspect of our lives. So they are raging against this anointed one and, and what do they want to do? They want to burst the bonds apart. They want to cast away the cords. What are the bonds and the cords of God? His word. They want to avoid the word. They want to, they want to break outside of that. They don't want to live and dwell in the blessedness of God's word, of how he has established this life to be lived. Right? They want to live outside of that. And we're going to get... Uh, I think next week we'll get into that a little bit more as we as we progress into the Psalms. And we're going to talk about liberation and actually what freedom really means of living according to God's order. Um, so we're going to pick up on that next week as well. So they want to avoid God's word at all costs, but we are to have his word rooted in us. And, and that word is not only... In us, but that word is rooted in God's character and, and given so that life can be lived in the order that God has established. So they would sway our thinking and it would be that counsel of the wicked that we would, are told to avoid. Um, it's, it's in the entertainment. If you see, I don't care if it's a, a little, little kid's TV show all the way up to, to every movie out there and TV show, there's this promotion of avoiding God's counsel. Or even worse, you know, we talk, it says um, in Psalm 1 about sitting in the seat of scoffers. You see the religiously faithful in modern movies and entertainment portrayed as stupid or overly zealous. That it's, it's just legalistic and that's the only way. And, and that's the portrayal that the world wants us and our children to understand is, oh, no, we can't follow all that. You know, those, those rules are too much for us. We're, we'll just do things, and, and yeah, we're, we're just kind of bad, and, but we're still, we still do good in the end, and, and we've, we've saved the day or the world or whatever it is, and that makes it all better, and everything else is washed away instead of how God has set order up and says that, no, sin is death, and, and death needs to be dealt with. And I sent my son to deal with that death 
on your behalf. So trust in him and his sacrifice first and foremost so that you may live. Um, it, it, it's in advertising. You, many of you will watch uh, football, I guess, tomorrow night. Uh, it'll be Saints game. Uh, you may watch it today, but look at the ads. What is this ad telling me that I cannot live without? Right? It's just constant and berating us all the time. If you flip open your phone and there's something, you just, right, I'm going to check the news and here's all these five other pop-ups that come along with it. Um, whatever it is, you know, there's always this. You have to have this. This is the greatest this or that. It's constant. Um, and it's really the way that I've, I've grown to see it in my own life is that it's a plot to numb me. It's a plot to, to, call, to want me to cause to go just scroll through and, and look at things numbly instead of engaging them with my heart, mind, and soul before the counsel and, and the presence of the living God with the Holy Spirit dwelling in me and asking questions about it. They don't want questions. They want to break that bond. They want to break that cord of questions about this, this product or do, can I really afford that? Is that where I should be focusing my time and money and attention? That, that, don't ask those questions. Just pursue, pursue, pursue. Gain, gain, gain. Doesn't it look good? Isn't it pleasurable for you? Then follow it. And, and, and that is the system of this world. So they want to change our behavior, right? They want, to, they want us to stand in their way. This is, this is the, the pushing, especially in, in America, in the Western culture, of work. And work must be done, and, and it's got to work hard. And, and we can always forgive a workaholic, right? It's just, that's just how he is. And, but he's he really providing for his family. Is he? Providing? For his family? Is there monetary security? Quite so. But is that security, really? It's interesting how they, they cage and, and how they would, would make the terms of life monetary security. It can be done away with in an instant. And there is no security because that's what you based your life upon. Just like the, the shifting sands... In Matthew 7, it could be washed away in a moment. There's no rock there, and the house built upon it will have a great downfall, as it says. And then lastly, they want to reestablish your sense of belonging, right? the, the, the seed of scoffers. They want to they move you across to progression and, and change not only that you don't think that anymore, but that you hate that you thought that before. David Wells gives this definition of worldliness. He said, worldliness is that system of values in any given age, which has as its center our fallen human perspective, which displaces God and his truth from the world, and which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. It thus gives great plausibility to what is morally wrong And for that reason, makes what is wrong seem normal. Right? So worldliness wants to make sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. And that is a constant 
constant challenge for us in today's day and age. Do you want to know why we're living in the age of the greatest religious shift? As Pastor Keith has been sharing with, with us the past three weeks. It's because too many of people who have been coming to church have bought that, bought into that sin is normal. Righteousness is strange. And they're completely 180 changed. Not, and, and you hear testimonies, heartbreaking testimonies of these deconversions and, and the way they write, the way they speak about the things of God is, is I can't believe I ever believed that. I can't believe I allowed myself to be duped. And you just hear the indoctrination of the, of the serpent in their words. And they, they truly believed that what they can determine now is good and evil for their own selves. So our age is, is one that constantly is, is missing the mark of God's word. It wants to tell God what is good and what is evil. They want to walk and stand and sit in their own ways. So does this mean that, that you know, that blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of God? Scoffers, does it mean that we're supposed to not be around unbelievers? By no means. Not at all. We should long, we should want to develop friendships with unbelievers. We should, we should want to be around those that God places into our lives for the effect of His goodness and glory being given to them. The problem comes, the problem arises whenever they become our counselors they become our influencers, right? And so, so we must um, examine ourselves. We must constantly be taking stock of our own hearts. What thoughts or, or patterns of thought control you? Have you taken those thoughts captive? Are they submitted under the obedience of Christ, who Christ was, how he acted and lived in this world? And reflected the glory of God? Do your thoughts line up with God's thoughts? What's the emotional paths that you have trailblazed in your hearts? These things that you run to all the time. These things that, that are, if this happens, I'm going there with my emotions. If you know a certain situation comes up and this person at work tells me this again, I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be... I'm going to be exasperated. I'll be irate. You know, what, are, what are your affections set upon? Where are, you, where are your hopes? And, and these emotions will tell you quite quickly where they are. Who or what is your counselor or your influencer as the modern age has that there are actually people now that get paid to tell you um, via videos, and I'm, I'm taking this on, on actual, on trust, but I actually have someone in my family that's striving towards this. It's a, a niece, um, but, and, and I've been very heartbroken about that because, you know, I, I understand you want to be um, someone recognized in the world, and you want other people to know who you are. 
right? That's in all of us. We all want everyone's attention. Look at me, look at me, look at me. That's, that's how we operate. That's how we, we, we function a lot of the times. Um, but if, if we are the end goal of that, that attention is going to crush us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring about um, a lot of negative things. I'm never getting through this. Holy mm-hmm. mouth. Just look at the clock. Okay. Whew. Okay. So two parts. All right. <laughs> All right. So look at, look at verse 2 of Psalm 1. And, and we're going to dig in here. It says, but, what a great word that is in Scripture, right? Uh, get the Ephesians 2, but, and this but here. But, as opposed to what we've been doing, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So this blessed man is delighting in the law of the Lord. He lives a life that is ordered by the counsel of God's word. He is instructed. Um, he, will, he would say along with, with the Apostle Peter in, in John 6. He says, you know, Jesus asked him, everyone else left. Are you going to? Peter would respond. Where would it go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. Do you, do you see that in your own heart? That those are the things that are affecting your daily life? Because that's another, that's another wall that, that the world would like to establish. Is that, yeah, heaven's great. Yeah, everyone's got this vision of heaven. We've um, spent a couple minutes or an hour, whatever it is, there. Or, or um, the white light or whatever it is. And they, they promote that. But there, there's a dividing line of saying, okay, that's great for the end of our lives. But it can't affect today. It can't be a part of our reality and affecting relationships, the way we spend our money, our time, right? As opposed to what Jesus would pray, you know, that, that today, God, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we want to we reflect the things that are current realities, the current way things are in heaven and bring them to life on earth, which is our purpose, which is our, our goal as Christians is, is to bring the heaven life into our daily lives and, and to see our sphere of influence, the people that we are around, my children, my coworkers, um, my family members, whomever it is, my neighbors, be influenced because I am bringing heaven and it's going to be a reality today on the earth where God has placed me. So this man delights in God's word. Secondly, he is, he is attracted to the beauty of God's order. This word for delight and, and this attractiveness is actually the same word. It's a, the verbal form of this word is actually used in Esther chapter 2. And you, you get a passage in there talking about what are the rules of the harem for the king. And one of the, one of the words that is in there, it says, and if the king delights in you, you get to come before his presence. That's the word that is the same word used for delight here. So, so we are blessed when we look upon the word of God 
with that much attraction. That it's not a duty for us, but in, in, in our wanting to follow God and, and wanting to be as close to him as possible, we read his word, and it's like a love letter. I, I, I can remember um, back when a man and I um, were dating that I would, I mean, if she sends a text, my heart just jumps, even though it came from, you know, it just, it's just a text. It could have been yes, or it could have been uh, just something silly, but it, it did, and my heart would jump, and, and there, was, there was that affection, and that's the delight. That's the um, emotional attachment that God wants the blessed person to have towards his word. And, and it's, it's something that we get down, and, and we do have hard circumstances in our lives, and it's hard to, to maintain that. But what it, what it is, it's also a, a strong foundation for us that, God, I don't have that emotional feeling right now, but I know the truth that your word is life, that your word is living and active, you know, able to divide my soul up right now that is, is overwhelmed in grief or sorrow or suffering and take it and give me a new perspective on life and, and how you want me to see this situation so that it works out for your glory in greater ways. So that he is honored in the midst of our suffering. And we can suffer. We can, we can endure hardships well, as the Thessalonians and the Hebrews were encouraged to do, with joy because of that. Because we have this effective delight of his word. And we're going to see that as we walk through uh, Psalm 119 over and over again. There isn't just this glorification of, of the word. There is an actual delight. There is an actual, I really love this word to our lives. So God has established this world according to his order, right? And that order needs to be effective for us. A lot of that, we can see a lot of that order, how God has established it in, in Genesis 1 and 2. And we get so much of uh, the theology of our lives from Genesis 1 and 2. And, and God is calling us to delight in it. So, so many of the questions that the world poses, the world system comes against, are things that we get clarity in in Genesis 1 and 2. And, and it's, it's a constant barrage against how God established, did God establish this world? Is it God's hand that has made this? Does God really have authority to rule and to, to reign over this earth? And those questions would be the questions of the world system. And so we need to not only know his word, but delight in it that you may see that order as attractiveness uh, in your lives. It's, it's really neat. We're going through uh, the book of Numbers in uh, Donnie Bourgeois' Bible study on Thursday nights. And we just got through the Balaam's prophecy last week, the, the uh, sets of, of four prophecies that he gives. And one of the prophecies goes and, and it says that, that Balaam stood on the mountain and saw how the tents of Israel were laid out. And he began to prophesy in the spirit. Balaam saw the order of God that was so established around the central presence of God that it overwhelmed him so much 
that order spoke so much of the goodness and the grace of God for that people that the Spirit of God fell upon him and he prophesied blessing over them. God's order is so powerful that the people around us can see our lives ordered according to God's word with God's presence being central among us and they can be utterly affected. They can be changed. They can have their hearts and their lives sit up against that and they're going to say, what's the reason hope that resides in you? Why are you that way? And this is what's meant to come out of us, meant to, to emote, to, to squeeze out of us at all times. It's my life. And, and that's how God has ordered things so that I can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, glorify Christ. I get it at work all the time. Many of the, many of the guys at work um, will speak roughly about their wives or family situations. And, and I will simply say, it's not so my house. That's not the way it is. I love my wife. I love my kids and, and I love being there for them. And I'm, I'm more than willing to set this work aside and, and go be with them if I need to. That, that, is a, that is a joy for me. And they're like, oh, you're just a religious guy and all this stuff. And, but you, you let a couple weeks go by and that same guy can be found coming over to, to my trailer, coming up to me. Hey man, will you pray for me? Hey, can you? I got this, that, and going on. Can you can you go pray for me? I said, absolutely. Let's pray right now. They freak out when I say that. But hey, I don't care. I'm still gonna pray for them. But if you stay there or not, that don't matter. Um, but anyway, the order of God in our lives is meant to be affecting us and and all those around us. And along with living lives in the counsel of God's word, and we're gonna stop here, and then we'll pick up the rest of this and the results next week. Um, with the counsel of God's word and seeing and seeking out and being attracted to God's order, we delight in the law of the Lord when we find our emotional stability and expressiveness in God's word. We find our emotional stability, that's peace, right? Peace that passes all understanding. Our emotional stability, it's, it's also the things that get us excited. Are they guarded by the word of God, you know, are we, we happy when the saints win? Yes, that's great. But does it ruin our week when they lose? No, no, it shouldn't. I hope not. I hope it doesn't. Um, it, some of you might, uh, that's fine, but it, don't allow those things to be what controls you. Right. Either, either, you know, that's the only conversation uh, on Tuesday morning is how well or how bad the saints did, you know, there are more important things in this life. Um, and so when the trouble comes, and it will come, right? So one of the promises of Christ, that in this world you will have tribulation. Our hope is in God and His purposes, and He and His purposes glorifying Him. I'm going to read this real quick because I found it so helpful to me. And I'm actually going to send you all an article that goes along with this this week. Um, take, a, take a look at it. But just this... This idea of troubling hardships coming into our lives. And, and I love the way that William Cowper wrote it in his God Moves in Mysterious Ways. And he says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break. 
in blessings, yea, in blessings and in blessings on your head. Right? So those those situations and, and those fearful things that you can see on the horizon that you feel like are going to ruin your plans, ruin your day. No. They're, they're rich with God's mercy in taking our affections off of this world and establishing them on the foundation, the truth of His Word, so that it is our delight. It is the thing that we are affectionate for. And so... How far did I get in y'all's notes? Uh, yeah, so we're right there. Um, we'll, we'll pick up with meditation next week, and I'm going I'm to send you a little article about that from George Mueller, his, his, his approach, and I'd like for us to read that together. And if we have time, we may go ahead and break into uh, Psalm 119, which is the plan for the next three weeks. And so we're going we're gonna to take that, and we're going to divide it up into three sections um, and see how God's word affects us so that we're going to actually, through the class of this time, meditate on God's word together and have this delight be uh, forming in us and growing together. Because, and, and just this quickly, it's one of the reasons why the gathering of the church is so important week in and week out, right? Because what's the goal of the world? Make sin seem normal, righteousness seem crazy, Right? We need to come together. We need to share our struggles of the week. We need to share our weaknesses in the week because some of those are what our brothers and sisters can say, wait a minute, hold on. That got flipped right there. That, that sin became normal to you and righteousness became strange. And, and you need to see that differently. You need to hear it. it's, why we, it's why we do this gathering Sunday morning and most importantly, why we do our small groups, you know, covenant groups and, and Bible studies. Get in those things so that other people can be in your lives on a regular basis as much as the world is wanting to break into your life, right? And so we, we want to gather together for the purposes of God and, and grow together for the glory of God. So thank you.